In this passage, while God appeals to Israel to repent, He points out this sad picture that they are painting with their choices, and it certainly speaks to our society today. Every situation that we find ourselves in as a culture today points back to someone, somewhere, not standing up for the truth of God's Word. So that is what we want to look at this morning. Standing up, understanding that if we reject God's faithfulness, if we reject His plans for us, then we are rejecting God's protection, God's sovereignty, God's authority over our lives. Will you stand with me as we read Malachi chapter 2? Verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Father, we pray that we might have a heart to deal with compassion in all our relationships. Father, that we might have a heart to take this word as it's intended Not to push us away and to condemn us, but Lord, to draw us back to repentance, to draw us back with a a, a firm sense of commitment to you, Lord, because of what you have done for us and what you are willing to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Or maybe I just need to leave you standing. I've been very kind of, you know, kind of quiet this morning. All right? You, uh... We're able to see in this passage of Scripture that God has a plan. God always has a plan. Amen? God always has a plan. He always has a picture of what it is that we should follow. And oftentimes we deviate from that plan because we choose our own way. And Israel in this passage of Scripture had deviated greatly from the plan of God. I'm going to remind you again of the setting of of this uh, uh, writing. And Malachi is writing to the people of Israel after Ezra had come and reestablished worship in Jerusalem. They had come out of captivity from Babylon and reestablished worship. After Nehemiah 
Nehemiah had come back and helped build the wall around Jerusalem for protection to keep the enemy out of the city and away from, from God's people. And Nehemiah had returned to Babylon to, uh, to serve uh, under the king there as he had promised. And Malachi is being raised up as a prophet to speak against some of the things that are taking place within the nation of Israel at this time. And this particular thing God speaks of, he's speaking about his judgment against those that are rejecting his faithfulness. Now the question right out is how is them uh, uh, disobeying God and defaming what he had, had designed for them for marriage, how is that rejecting God's faithfulness? Well, let me tell you, God invented marriage. Just like, look, these kids knew that. God invented marriage. He created it. God created two institutions on the face of the earth. Number one, in the book of Genesis, he created marriage. He said it was not good for a man to be alone. I will create for him a helper. And and he raised up and he created Eve and he put them together. And he said, for this reason, the two shall shall, shall be joined together and be one flesh. He invented marriage. Bible says in the book of Proverbs, when when a man has found a wife, he has found a good thing. Amen, husbands? Amen? That's weak. You're in trouble now. All right? When a man has found a wife, he's found a good thing. God invented marriage. And he invented it as a picture, and he uses this throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament of our relationship with him. The church is called the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 outlines how a man and woman are to uh, love and respect each other as a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. So in this passage of scripture, God is telling the people of Israel, number one, that they had profaned the covenant. Now that, if I walked up to you today and said, you are profaning the covenant, you, know, you, you probably hit me, uh, all right? or, or, or at least make a, a weird face at me because you didn't understand what I was saying. Well, what, what is he saying there? I want to tell you, biblically, this is some of the ugliest language that God ever uses. Now, he, he's not using bad words. He's just using words that are bad to hear. Amen? Difficult things to hear from the mouth of God. He paints here an ugly picture. He shows them that this, this word here, it says, you have profaned Verse 10, by profaning the covenant of the fathers. This word profane is a strong, strong Hebrew word. And it means polluting or defiling. It it would have the same indication of mixing something repulsive in with your food. Do I need to paint a better picture than that? All right, I don't want to go too far, right? It, It is a picture of disgust. It is a picture, he said, you have profaned, you have defiled. It is the worst imaginable filth that you can think of. And this is what they had done with the covenant of God. And he uses the word repeatedly in this passage of of Scripture, deal treacherously. And it gives the, the illusion of being treasonous, of misusing our relationships. If somebody today commits treason against the government of the United States, the penalty today, still to this day, is death. 
That if you turn your back and defile your government and give away its secrets and, and manipulate it in such a way to your own gain, the penalty is death. He said, you have dealt treacherously with one another and you have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. He uses this word over and over again. It is an ugly picture. But we also see in this a, an unholy people under this this profaning of the covenant, they, they have turned themselves to unholiness. He names the name of Judah. He calls out the tribe of Judah. He says, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel. What is he saying there? The blame for judgment is not at the feet of one person. It's not at the feet of one uh, family. It's not at the feet of one tribe. The blame for all of it is at the feet of the nation. The reason we find ourselves in the situation we find ourselves in today in the United States regarding marriage is not one person's fault or one group's fault. It is the church's fault. The blame for judgment falls at the feet of the people of God because it was not dealt with. What's he saying? He says, Judah... Israel, as a nation, you have not dealt with the sin that has risen up among you and it is an abomination. Look at the words here, profane, treacherously, abomination. This word abomination means that it was abhorrent to God, that that it was so bad. What was so bad? Well, what so bad was this ungodly practice? It says there that they profaned, in verse 11, they profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. Now I say this out of biblical evidence, not the, the, to put down on anybody who is unmarried, because listen, you've got to take the whole counsel of God. But the Lord told, uh, the scripture says through Paul's writings, he said, Young man, if you can stay single and, and not burn with passion, then do that. But he, he said, but it's better to be married than to burn. All right? So, so it was okay to be single. If you're a single person and, and that's where God's called you to be, then, then that's okay. But God loves marriage. Let me say that again. God loves marriage. We have a marriage celebrations, we have marriage ceremonies, and this goes back culture after culture, nation after nation, group after group, because it goes back to the Garden of Eden. And today, we face a battle in our culture over marriage. We face a battle because Steve and, and, and Bob want to get married to each other, or Emily and Susan want to get married to each other. But here's the problem. That's not where it's going to end. Because I believe scripture has proven and society has proven and culture has proven over and over again that if you take one step, you're going to take the next step. And pretty soon, anybody's going to be able to marry anybody or anything. And you're going to have polygamy and you're going to have uh, uh, indecent things between adults and children and you're going to have all kinds of things that are going to be legal because that is the way the nation is going to go. Now, this is hard for me to stand here and say this this morning. But, if we would have fought the battle when the battle began, we wouldn't be fighting the battle today. What do I mean? Well, for the past 50 plus years, 
The church has not stood up for marriage. The church has not stood up for marriage. We, I point the finger at me, I point the finger at all of us as a church, as a body of believers, as the body of Christ for the past 50 years have not protected and respected marriage as it should be. We, live, we have allowed, and I say allowed because we've turned a blind eye to it, we've allowed a culture of no-fault divorce to raise up that you married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you just decide, hey, I don't love this person anymore. You hit the road. We live in a culture of, of, of adultery and, and, and promiscuity. People live together and, and everything else, that, and we just turn a blind eye to it, and we don't say into it. I, I thank God that the people that I know that are in these situations that God has allowed me to have conversations with, and I'm not pointing anybody out, that God help me for, to not do that, because all I want you to know is that... that even someone who is in the wrong, you can still talk to them about being in the wrong without ostracizing them. Are you with me? You understand where I'm coming from with that? Uh, I, I used to work with some, some, uh, some homosexuals at Walmart. And um, I would have conversations with them. Uh, the marriage thing wasn't an issue at that time. But I could talk to them very openly about why I did not believe in what they were doing. And they respected that I felt that way. I don't know if any of them ever were changed through that. I hope God planted a seed and maybe they were. But I'm just trying to to help you to understand that today we live in a culture where we don't respect marriage. We don't look at our families. We don't look at our children and our grandchildren and we don't want biblical marriage for them. We, We... Now, I don't want to be graphic, but I mean, we we live in the culture where we say, go do what you want to do. Go sow your wild oats. And when the time comes, it'll be all right. That's not where we need to live. I wish that I would have known at 16, 17, 18 years of age, what I know now. I wish that I would have known how wonderful the covenant of marriage is. How beautiful God can take something so amazing and and make it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe I wouldn't have made the same bad choices. Maybe I would have. I don't know. But I wish I'd have known. But in this passage, God is saying we are profaning the covenant that He has created. When we pray over these kids, that we raise up a generation that loves them and wants to... That's part of it. We need to teach our kids what marriage looks like, what marriage is. The second thing, and I'm going to get to some, th- some, some reasons that Jesus gives and, 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 and he did allow uh, for situations. And we'll get to that in a second. But we need to understand the importance 
of not profaning that covenant. Secondly, we need to understand what the second part of their sin here, the second part of their judgment was because they pretended to care. They pretended to care. He says here, uh, verse 13, And the second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, weeping and crying. But they didn't care. It is very aware in verse 12, they didn't care. May May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, that's, that phrase there, awake and aware, tells you that they were simply closing their eyes to sin. They were willfully sinning. They knew what it was that they were doing and they pretended to care about it. After they willfully sinned, they came and covered the altar of the Lord with tears and they wondered why God didn't answer the way they wanted Him to. Why? Because they were crying out in selfishness. God loves them. Listen, God loves these people and God loves us. God loves our culture. God loves our society. God loves our nation. He loves every person on the face of the earth to the point of brokenheartedness. But He would not respect their offering. Because they came weeping and crying and saying, God, this is what we want and this is what we offer to you. But they were awake and aware of their sin. God still loves them. He's still brokenhearted over them, but He would not respect the offering that they were bringing because they were covering His altar with crocodile tears. They were crying out for what they wanted. Now listen, the the, the selfishness in that is just, just overwhelming. Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You hear me talk about sacrifice. You hear me talk about giving. You hear me talk about tithing and things like that. But God wants our heart. Amen? He wants our heart. He wants our full commitment. He wants us to come to Him and say, Lord, this is who we are. This is We want to give ourselves to You completely. And these people were pretending to care about the will of God, awake and aware of their sin, covering the altar with tears, and walking away in their own selfishness. The third thing here is they were passing over their commitments. Verse 14 says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now let me put into context here what was going on. What was going on. These men were dismissing their Israelite wives, and they were taking wives from the surrounding area. They were marrying into the enemy camp, which God strictly forbid, forbade in the Old Testament. Now, now, why did he forbid that? Because it opened them up to ungodliness. Um, Solomon's a great example of that with his 700 wives and 300 concubines. I get them backwards anyway. Uh, I don't think he probably could have kept up with them either. But, um, but they led him astray. They led him into idolatry. They led him to worship false gods. And, and, and what was happening here is they were passing over their commitment. Again, he uses the term dealing treacherously with their wives. Now understand a couple of things. Most of these wives were selected and married at a young age. The wives didn't have a whole lot to do with it back then. All right, so that doesn't, you know, we, we can't relate to that in a lot of ways. But what it does is it, all the responsibility for making that marriage work fell on the head of the man. And they were snubbing God and they were casting out their wives. There was a a big deal in the papers a few weeks ago, uh, the articles about uh, Woody Allen. 
I didn't know this until recently. Woody Allen was honored at some award show or something, and then it all came out that, or I found out, I guess other people knew. Woody Allen, the film movie guy, divorced his wife and married his adopted stepdaughter. And people were talking about how, what a great man he is. That's sick. Right? That, that reminds me of what Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians about you know, the things that were going on in the church at Corinth. But this man, these men that we're, we were talking about here in this passage of Scripture, it was up to them. They were snubbing their wives and they were receiving of themselves wives from the, the surrounding area, which means that their wife who they had, had been married to had nothing. You know? Uh, we, we live in the culture today, at least there's some divorce laws, you know. Ladies, if your husband leaves you, what you going to get? Half say, look, you know it, you're programmed, all right? All right? Half. All right? Then truth be known, you're probably entitled to more than that. But anyway, that's, that's another story. Because um, I wouldn't have nothing if it wasn't for my life. But, uh, but, but understand what it's saying here is dealing treacherously. It goes beyond just being mean. It goes beyond being respect, disrespectful. It goes to being downright evil. That they had taken the trust of this young woman. They had brought her down an aisle uh, of marriage. They had, had brought her into, her home, into the home. They had, had provided and, and made a, a home for her. And then he decided, you know, I don't want her anymore. And, he, and they threw her away. When God says dealing treacherously, it goes way beyond just, just being mean. It mean. It's very evil. They were destroying what God had made one. And now this is a, a picture that I use a lot of times in talking to couples that are about to get married. And in and, uh, and, and the biblical sense, when people come together as one, they, they make that union and, and the, the relationship, and then uh, they're drawing away and trying to form another union. And, and in the culture today, if we use that, if, if we jump from relationship to relationship to relationship, I always use this picture. It's like a piece of scotch tape. You familiar with scotch tape? Nobody in this room has ever used scotch tape, all right? You know what scotch tape is, all right? You stick a piece of scotch tape to something and you pull it off, it's hard to get it to stick to something else, amen? All right, very practical again. A young man that I know, I say young because he's my age, all right? Uh, a, a, a friend of mine that, that I've known for many years, I did a wedding for him a, a few years back. He was 37, 38 at the time. This was his fourth marriage. All right? Now, now bear with me here. He, he's a, he knows I would talk about him, so it's all right. All right? We sat down and we were talking and he told me about his first wife and he told me about his second wife and he told me about his third wife. And I said, buddy, you know what all three of them women had in common? You. They all had the same problem. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I cause them like I see them, all right? You go to trying to stick from one thing to another, it, pretty soon it doesn't stick. Is that too practical? What God's saying here is that what He had made one, they are ripping apart. That's why in Scripture it says what God has put together, let no one Pull asunder, let no one tear it asunder because this commitment, they were passing over their commitments. They were deviating from God's plan 
And his plan was this. He says, why should I be upset about this? Why did I make you have a remnant of the Spirit? Why one? He seeks godly offspring. God wants God's people to raise godly children. That is the simplest formula for a good family you're ever going to find right there. God wants God's people to raise godly children. But we live in a culture that has, has dismissed all these things and it has caused confusion. You want to talk about, we talk about Bible school. We get a hundred kids in here every year for Bible school. And I know y'all going to get up off it and y'all going to get to work at Bible school. I have full faith in you in that. Amen. All right. You, you are going to get up off it and get to work at Bible school. All right. All right. But, but. We get 100 kids in here every year for, for vacation Bible school. And I cannot tell you how many of these forms that I look at afterwards trying to contact the families. And you've got a kid that, that has, has a, a, a mama with one last name and a daddy with another last name. And they got a different last name. They live with their grandma with another last name. And, and why do I say it? Because you can't find them. It prohibits the work of God. It prohibits the ministry that we could continue because the family is in such shambles. And I'm, again, I'm not condemning anybody. This is the culture that we live in and this is what we've got to deal with. They deviated from God's plan. More than anything else in this passage, I believe this is who we are today. We are raising up generation after generation who does not understand what godliness is. They don't know what marriage looks like because they haven't seen it in their parents. They haven't seen it in their grandparents. We're, in, we're entering into the third generation of, of divorced and broken families right now. Over half the marriages in the United States today end in divorce. Over half. I think it's upwards of 70% now. But why am I saying all this? Because our children don't know what godliness looks like. More and more children are growing up with no sense of family. They don't know what it means to be a mom or a wife. They don't know what it means to be a dad or a husband. And it's harder and harder for them to understand a loving, compassionate, faithful God because they see none of that in their home. Now let's be clear. There are times when God allows divorce. All right, divorce does not prohibit you from the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. And there are times where God has allowed that. And Ezra, you see it because of idolatry, because one spouse had gone after a foreign God. God encouraged them to, to, to let them go. And Matthew, you see it because of adultery. Uh, unfaithfulness on the part of one spouse allows the other spouse to, 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 to cut their ties but, but And even if you are totally at fault and you are divorced, God's grace can cover that. God can forgive. But the plea, the, the concern, the heart of God in this is that we would get back to a place where we honor and respect the covenant and the plan that He designed. And we see this in this last point. God pleading with His people. God pleading for concern from his people, where he says there in verse 16, For the Lord God says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and do not deal treacherously. As brokenhearted as God was over all this, and as devastating as it was in his sight, he does not turn his back. Let me say that again. As hard as and sickening and, and, and horrible as it was, 
The words that he used, profaning the covenant, dealing treacherously. Even in this verse right here, he said that he hates divorce because it covers one's garment with violence. It takes, it's the picture of somebody being bludgeoned to death and the blood of that murder covering the garment of the person who's killing them. That's how, how angry and upset and disappointed God was. But he does not turn his back. I want to tell you, you treat me like these people treat God in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to have very little grace for you. I mean, I'm just saying. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? If, you, if we treated each other like these people treat God in this passage of Scripture, we would be very upset with that person. But God does not turn his back. God pleads with them. He says, I don't like this situation. I hate this situation. It's abhorrent to me. It is is disgusting. makes me sick. But here's the thing. If you will put into practice what I'm telling you to do, even though you have dishonored me, even though you have broken my covenant, even though you are still in the throes of sin, if you will take heed to your spirit and repent and do not deal treacherously, I will forgive you. What a God. What a God. This is not an easy message. But I don't apologize for it. God loves marriage. It is a picture of our relationship with Him. Here's the key to this message this morning. No matter what situation you are in, single, unmarried, widowed, married, divorced, whatever situation you're in this morning, God says right here in this passage of Scripture, take heed to your spirit. Listen to what your heart knows is right and wrong from the Word of God and do not deal treacherously with one another.